You are now listening to Hack My Age, the show that brings you guests with information on how to make yourself hard to kill and help you live to 100 and beyond in good condition. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a digital nomad currently stuck in Spain, certified sports nutrition coach and master student of gerontology at USC. I am the creator of the Longevity Master Plan, an online program to slow aging and author of the cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. All right. Well, welcome age disruptors. Today I'm recording this podcast with a live studio audience. All of you attending this recording are members of the Hack My Age VIP program. So most of you signed up to Patreon. This is a subscription platform that supports the Hack My Age content. And part of being in this exclusive club is the ability to dial in and watch the interviews as they recorded and ask your own questions, not just mine. This is a new format. So if you want to check out how to be a part of this amazing community, go to patreon.com forward slash hack my age and sign up for these live interviews. There's also breath work and meditation classes, private consultations, free downloads, and just so much more. So Let's get to our first guest here, Dr. Chris Gavilio, who I have been trying to get on the podcast for a while now. I found him originally as I was trying to figure out how to use blood flow restriction bands after I heard about them um, or heard about katsu bands from people like biohackers, Ben Greenfield and Leslie Kenny. And what I started to understand was that this method can be used to induce your own growth hormones to gain more muscles with less weight and less time, as well as a lot of other anti-aging benefits. So who wouldn't want that? <laughs> as a gerontologist and a very athletic person, I understand um, the issues of frailty and osteoporosis injuries and other aging problems. I'm 50 on top of it. So it's a, uh, yeah, degradation. And I also know the problems that come with just training a lot. So I, I also have younger clients as a health coach who are not athletic and who have busy lives and zero time to train, but they want the six pack abs. <laughs> so I thought this may be something for them too. So as I was searching for podcasts and videos, I found Chris's podcast, um, which is dedicated solely to blood flow restriction. It's also known as occlusion and it's called BFR radio. So I listened to a few podcasts and realized I wasn't just listening to a meathead here who wanted to just gain more muscle. I was listening to a highly intelligent sports scientist who was explaining the studies and the research on BFR. And that really spoke to me. So let me give you a little background on this doctor. He is the senior strength and conditioning coach for the Queensland Academy of Sport, and he works with Olympic-based sports and athletes. And Chris has been involved with elite sport for over 15 years, and he's been working across multiple Olympic sports and professional football clubs in both the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. You may guess he's Australian <laughs> and he has a PhD in sports scientists and applied his sports science knowledge in projects when he was working in the UK in the field of rugby. And he has several papers already published as a result of this work and, and the collaborative work he's done with his fellow sports scientists. And Chris is also an entrepreneur and he's designed some pretty cool training products that complements his passion and for strength and conditioning, but he also made them so that he had a superior product for his clients and his athletes. And the one we're gonna talk about today is the sports rehab tourniquet for blood flow restriction training and how we can use this to our own advantage. There's just one disclaimer I have to make here um, because it may sound scientific. And as with all types of exercise interventions, there are contradictions and considerations that need to be considered prior to commencing BFR training. Therefore, it's important to ensure that you understand these prior to starting your BFR training and if it's right for you. So without further ado, a welcome, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Zora. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. And thank you for everyone joining in this evening or today, wherever you are. 
Yeah, so exactly. Here in Australia, it's evening time. Here in Europe, we're, we're in the day, and in the US, it's morning, wee morning hours. So I um, I really appreciate you staying up for us as well um, and giving us some really valuable information. And, and to start with, I think a lot of people listening here don't know what BFR is, BFR training, blood fire restriction, or occlusion. Can you explain just briefly how you do this? And you have a brilliant video if anybody wants to do this to go to chriscavilio.com. Is that, that's correct, right? Chriscavilio.com? Correct, yes. yes. And I'll have all the, the, how to get there in the show notes, but go there. It's got a brilliant video. It's like 10 minutes and exactly everything you need to know. So if you can give us a rundown on what that training is and how you even get started with it. Yeah, definitely. It's a good question. And I think one thing for me before we get started is that I'm really big on the education side of it, as as you'll understand this evening or during the podcast. And you know, I think it's really important to get it succinctly because we're all busy people. So for me, it's been able to get that message clearly across. So I really try and with all my videos, help educate anyone that's interested in it. However, to answer your question, I've got a couple here because it's sometimes it's just easier. So essentially, we're just looking at a blood pressure cuff. Mm-hmm. These are the lower body, a little bit lower, a uh, little bit wider. These are the upper body. And what will happen is we'll place it either on the upper or the lower body. So you'd put the upper body on like so around the upper body, around the arm. It's pretty close high up to your, um, the armpit. Correct. Under the armpit. And therefore the, the movement that you have with it on the arm is quite free. So hence it's a bit thinner. The one on the lower body sits on the upper thigh, right up the, the, the top, at the top third of the thigh. And when you're doing your lower body training, that's where you put it on. You either have it on the upper body or the lower body at the same time. If we think about our blood pressure cuff, the advantage of a system like so, we then can attach a pump to it and it'll have a gauge and you can actually control how much pressure you're actually putting into the cuff. With that, what we're trying to do when we use the word occlusion, I think we need to be a little careful and I'm, I'm going to actually help explain, I guess, the difference between katsu and also BFR uh, over the time because Katsu has a wealth of information and, and from it's out of Japan. That's where it all originated from. And, and they have so much more information that BFR does not have because BFR is traditionally just academically driven, whereas Katsu is academically driven because they have lots and lots of great papers out there, but they've also got some really good systems about how to practically apply that. And I think that's the advantage of what I'm able to do. And I'll bring these points out is those practical components to ensure that you're doing it properly. So what we're doing when we put the cuff on, we're only partially occluding blood flow. So what we're going to do is that we're going to restrict the venous return of blood from the muscles. So what will happen is the blood will still flow freely into the muscle and that's called arterial blood flow but we're restricting it coming back out. There's still a little bit that will come through. And traditionally, when we look at pressures or what are we talking about here, when we have full occlusion, that's full arterial occlusion, that means that there's no venous return. We're actually training at around 50 to 80% of arterial occlusion. That I guess is is the key here is it's a percentage of, and it's really individual, this type of training in that it's not necessarily one pressure fits all because there's so many considerations here. In particular, cuff width is a massive one. So we, I'll, I'll flit it in and out of Katsu and BFR. So Katsu, for example, is a much thinner band. So it's probably about this same width, which is about uh, four to five centimeters. Whereas What happens is that if you have a wider cuff is you're able to distribute the the ability to occlude a limb uh, over a greater area. So we can actually train at lower pressures. So when you do lower limb training and you use a wider cuff versus a thinner cuff, we're actually able to train at slightly lower pressures than you would do a katsu at the same kind of percentage of arterial occlusion. Therefore, it's a little bit more comfortable because as you pump it up, it becomes quite restrictive. And at first, if you're not quite used to it, it can feel a little bit weird, but you do get used to it, which is 
quite a good thing. And it's how you introduce it is, is another key, which I'll go into as well. But you're actually able to distribute that occlusion pressure over a greater area. So we can train at lower pressures and make it more comfortable for the user while still getting the same benefit. The Katsu bands, is that a brand name or is that a type of training? It's both. So when Katsu was first born, it was, I can't actually, it actually means, um, I should have actually had, in one of my presentations, actually what it means. And it, it revolves around basically that pressure around the limb. So as a result, they have Katsu brand bands, but they also have Katsu training. And typically what you have to do with Katsu is that it's quite, it's a lot more rigorous process with the training behind it. To actually buy a pair, you have to do the course or you train under a certified Katsu trainer. So the, the control behind the systems are a lot more rigorous. It's slightly different in that it has a, a computer which controls the amount of pressure that goes up and they call it Katsu units. And essentially one Katsu unit is equivalent to one millimeter of mercury. So when you hear me talk about the pressures and what kind of pressures are we looking at, because we're using a blood pressure cuff, we're actually talking in millimeters of mercury. It, it, once again, it relates down to the, the limb circumference. That's one of our main guiding factors around the type of pressures that we're actually going to use whilst training. Because as you can imagine, if you have a person with a really big thigh, you need a lot more pressure to occlude the limb versus someone who has a much smaller limb, you have a lot less pressure. And then once you're able to ab calculate the um, occlusion pressure or the total occlusion pressure, you then multiply that by anywhere between 50 to 80%, depending on the cuff width and the, the type of feedback mechanisms that you will do. So normally what I would do is a wider cuff, I train at 50% of arterial occlusion, uh, something that it's a little bit thinner because we need a higher pressure, we'll train more on that upper end. But once again, look, this is all a guide and, and you know, with your disclaimer, and like any kind of training programs, this is all a guide. So just because I say 50%, it could actually be 40%. And that is the training that goes behind this this type of training is that you've got to understand that we're all individuals. So just to say, for example, Zora, the first time we calculate your limb pressure, let's just say we what we do, I take the blood pressure. There's, there's a few ways of calculating this. Uh, the gold standard is, is Doppler ultrasound, where what they'll do is if we're looking at upper body, they'll put the cuff on and they'll inflate it and they'll have a little Doppler ultrasound and then they'll wait until basically there's no pulse. And then that's your occlusion pressure. From that there, we can calculate anywhere between 50 to 80%, depending on the width. There's some really great researchers out there. And there's one gentleman called Jeremy Lenecki. If you look at anything out there on Google Scholar, if you're really into the academic side of it. That's what I try and do. I try to do all the academic stuff so everyone out there can just crack on and train. What he looked at is this, well, okay, you've got this wonderful gold standard, but potentially what's another way of doing it? And he found there's two factors associated with it. The primary factor is limb circumference, as I said earlier. And the second one is also blood pressure because we have different blood pressures in our body. So taking those two factors in consideration, you can use a very simple equation that he's actually made and then it calculates a theoretical arterial occlusion and then you can work that way and then while we're just talking about this there's an there's another type of bfr training called practical bfr which you'll see a lot of products out there where some of them are just using tourniquets where they just basically just have a strap and they're just ripping Mm -hmm. ripping it really tight or sometimes they're using knee wraps that you'll see weightlifters use uh, when, when they lift they'll wrap it around their knees really tight and that's what they'll squat with so what they're doing is they're using these knee wraps last quite tight elastic and they're wrapping it around their upper thigh or their upper arm and they're using an rpe of seven out of ten so 10 out of 10 being the most maximal thing you've ever done. And one out of 10 is the easiest thing. So around a seven out of 10. And in terms of, we look at literature, that's actually been shown to be very effective as well. What, which part, the, the repetitions or? Oh, tra training using practical BFR. So if we look at what's efficient out there, you know, because everyone says, what's the research? Show me the research, Chris. Mm -hmm. So if we look at research, 
if we look at katsu, if we look at using something, you know, with millimeters of mercury, or if we're using something where we're using a subjective feedback of seven out of 10, they've actually all been shown to be really efficient at working. Then, yeah, because this is very interesting because when I started to investigate this, I asked my trainer, well, it was just the girl who does the boot camp. Uh, I said, do you know anything about this? And she says, no, but we, we got some very minimal training and they gave us these bands. Do you want them? I never use them. So I, I just took them and they were the ones with the Velcro. There was no pressure in there. And when I started to use that, some of the girls um, were horrified. They said, restricting the blood flow to your limbs sounds very dangerous. You shouldn't do that. And then and I can understand their concern. And I said, but you know, I, I, there, there must be an answer for this. And this is where I found you. And so this is a big question. When I started to find out, I, I've seen the videos of just the elastic band that you pick up in the gym, guys wrapping it around up until the cut so sophisticated thing in the, the, uh, the computers and everything, which just cost a fortune. So this is the question, yeah, is the research showing, is this all the same? You know, do people, should they invest in something a bit more expensive or, or better quality? And is it safe? That's another question that I have is how dangerous can this be if you try to do this on your own? That's where the education comes into it. Anything done recklessly, bad protocols, and, and it could be anything. You, you go to a gym and someone gives you a high intensity session and you've never done it before. That's just as dangerous as something like this. Yoga is dangerous too. Sometimes when people go into a yoga class and they get injured. Are you right? Yeah. And with the then that's why Katsu has this high level of structure around training and that you have to do a course, you have to train under a certified trainer because there's a, such a high level of safety around it. That's why I, when I have mine, I make sure I have a gauge and I have so much education behind it. I have lots of information. So how do you put it on? How to calculate the pressures? What do you look for when you first start training? Just so it, it help educate the users. And I, I obviously run some workshops as well to educate practitioners to do this. And what tends to happen is, is that you get people that are just pulling it too tight, that are taking the pressures too high. So because I work with, well, I work with a whole spectrum of people and, you know, safety at the end of the day is, is paramount for me. So that's why I, I make sure there's some form of measurement with a gauge so that you're actually able to inflate it and you're able to, to monitor that so that I know that the pressure I give you, Zora, is spot on for your limb circumference. Now, with that, what are the cross checks? Now, this is where I guess, in my opinion, I think BFR falls a little bit short and Katsu takes off. So this is some real practical knowledge out there. So what's some of the feedback mechanisms that we could be looking for? One is skin color. So if you have like a really nice dark reddish skin color, that's a good sign that you have the right amount of occlusion or percentage of occlusion. If it starts turning blue, it, it's, <laughs> it's obviously a little bit too tight. Got the it. next one, which is, which is a really good one, is called capillary refill time. We have all these capillaries under our skin, and that nice reddish color is, say, for our upper body, if we press when we have the cuffs on, the, the big meat of our palms, we push it in. What will happen is we're pushing all the blood out of the capillaries, It'll turn white and then that red color will refill again. Now, if it's around two to three seconds, we're at a really good pressure. If it takes around six seconds or longer, if you think about it, if it's too tight around the upper body and we press it, there's not enough blood coming back in. So it's going to take a really long time. So it's capillary refill time. For lower body training, it's on it's on the VMO or that big tear teardrop that's on your thigh, uh, on your quadricep. So that's that's the other place. Can I interrupt you then? What about if you have darker skin? What do you see? Or can you measure it, but in a different way? Yeah, well, then there's a couple more. Uh, the other one is, actually, that's a really great question. I have to say that at the moment, I haven't had a lot of athletes for, with really dark skin. The other ones that we we look towards is just fatigue across the set. So if you're able to, if we're doing say three sets of 20 or three sets of 15 and, and the athlete or the, the client is just pushing reps out, you know that the, the pressure is not high enough. If they're exhausting too quickly, it's probably another great sign that it is too tight. 
so there's that level of practicality of of how they're training to the response that they have. Yeah. So if you pass out, probably at that sign, the only thing is we don't want to get to that point. So yeah, because I imagine it must be a balance because, you know, you need to be fatigued. It's, I mean, it's, it's a point because then, right, this is how you're, you're training and getting the, the muscles to, to react. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. I'm wondering, you know, what you've spoken about before in terms of getting the blood, the, the pressure correct um, and having the right place that the band is sitting on. But what a, is it change for a person who's injured or or the same person? Yeah. During if they're during an injury or if they're if they're training and they're perfectly fine. Does that pressure change at all or repetitions maybe change? Yeah, it's more around the repetitions, the exercises and what you can do with it. Because typically what we're trying to do is we're creating stress. And essentially the beautiful thing around BFR or katsu training is that normally when we do any kind of physical activity, we need to stress our body. In the gym, it's called mechanical stress or physical load. So normally that's why we think we have to lift really heavy weights. If it's cardio-based, typically we need high-intensity or long-duration aerobic work. So if you're doing aerobic work and you need to go for very long periods of time, or alternatively, if you're doing high, if it's repeat work and you do more high intensity, so you really get that heart rate going, a lot of sprint type work. The beautiful thing with this is that at low loads, around that 20 to 30% of your maximum weight, and look, even body weight and even elastic band, you're the TheraBand type strengthening, there's been really great studies on positive effects just using as low as body weight. So what we're able to do here is we're using metabolic stress instead of mechanical stress. And like with any, when we have a stress in our body, all these different signaling pathways get activated. And that's what I think the basis of, of training has always been about. We have to lift heavy weights and you read, you know, all these studies saying, you know, 60 to 70% plus of your repetition maximum. So in other words, like even the aging population to get true results, you need to lift heavier weights. But in an aging population, the last thing we want to be doing is lifting heavy weights because we have degenerative joints, tendons, tendonitis, you know, all these different factors which prevents us from lifting heavier weights is I have a degenerative knee that I can't lift heavy load on and doesn't like it. So I use, I use a different kind of stress. So it's metabolic stress. When you read all these different studies, we, we could get really scientific here and they're just markers. And so a lot of the podcasts, the, the first podcast I ever listened to, to yours, you know, it was just like, were you talking about these different proteins and different pathways that were getting activated? And I was going, the same thing happens in blood flow restriction training. So I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper if you, you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. No, please. It's, it's great. You, you listen to some of the stuff and it sounds like it's just, it's, it's hormesis, right? We're trying to adapt to a new normal by stressing it out a little bit. And that's what attracted me. And I think that's when the sort of biohacking community, they like this type of work because of that. But I'm really thinking, you know, I want to put in the mindset, uh, you know, as my gerontology hat and, and thinking about people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, or even 80s, like you said, tell them to lift heavy weights. You know, it's most of the biohacking community are just young guys. Like, well, you know, talk to a 70 year old and tell them to lift a heavy weight when they've got degenerative problems in their knees and ankles. So this is why I'd love to learn more about thinking about those people in mind or or people who are me, I'm 50 and, but I get injured a lot because I just don't stop. And so I want to recover, but I don't want to lose that muscle mass. And this is where I understand the growth hormone activity that happens with blood flow restriction is quite interesting. And I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper and explain some of those pathways that are happening. There's five main pathways that it's known to, it's mainly discussed out there. The first one is this 
increase in concentration of metabolites. When we use it, when we're in the gym, we get this really feeling of fullness when we train that we call the pump traditionally. So we have this metabolic stress or this increase in metabolites when we're training. And in particular, lactate's one of the, the big metabolites that gets that gets released as a result of this type of training and with respect to hormones it's it's actually a signaling molecule as well lactate so sometimes we think it's of a really negative thing when we're training but in this case it's really good so we have a release of lactate and it's known as a pseudo hormone and we have all these different stress responses as a result of it because the body is just not used to this lactate so as a result there's different growth factors and different differentiations of of different type of, uh, there's even stem cell differentiation as a result of this lactate. And as a result, you have these different growth factors released. And one of them is hormones. There's so many great anabolic hormones that gets released. Growth hormones, one, testosterone is another one. And definitely in an aging population in men and women, you know, we have this decrease in testosterone. The contraceptive pill can actually affect our ability, well, the, the female's ability to, to produce what testosterone is produced. We can flatline there. Uh, I, I'm definitely not an expert on it, but I definitely know that I use it as a hormonal primer for athletes. And definitely as a, in an aging population, you could be using that there to assist yourself with just your own training. So you have these wonderful anabolic hormones that gets released, which you know really draws, I think, everyone to this. And then the next one is this thing called intramuscular signaling. So you have these hormones, these anabolic hormones, which gets released. And then you have these other different signaling pathways, which in the muscles, which is totally different to these, um, to these hormones. And they're, they're things called heat shock proteins, mTOR. Once again, we don't have to get bogged down in the markers. But what's really interesting around uh, heat shock proteins is that when we lift heavy weights, heat shock proteins get released and that's we get the adaptive responses in the muscle, BFR, heat shock proteins. But funnily enough, also heat can give you this release of heat shock proteins. There's a really cool study where they had two groups of, of people. This is digressing from BFR, but I'll get back on target in a minute. One group of subjects had just heat sheets put over their body eight hours, I think it was like eight hours a day versus the control, which had none. And those who had just heat on their body actually gained muscle and also gained strength. Just without anything, just this yeah, heat. With, without anything compared compared to the control group. So when you think about how do we, how can we combine our different modalities out there, the best thing that we can do after exercise is sit in a sauna. Yeah, miss those days. <laughs> When I'm a gym. Sauna spa. So when I have athletes, I go, oh, we want to go sit in the sauna. I go, oh, fantastic. Away you go. Hot as you can for as long as you can, as long as you're rehydrating, I think is key. Great tip. Yeah, I love that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> The next one is called intracellular swelling, which is which is the pump. And, and what happens here is, is that you have this feeling of fullness in the muscle. So you have this increased pressure within the muscle cell. And then the cell thinks, oh, something's gone wrong. It feels threatened. And as a result, you have this signaling response. Once again, it's this thing called an mTOR pathway, but there's all these different, the satellite cell, the amount of satellite cells can actually be shown to, to grow as a result of that, which, which has really great ramifications for increasing muscle size and strength. So we got that. And the last one was also muscle fiber recruitment, which is really hard to do as we age because we need lots of high load or high intensity training. So how can we get those really big fast twitch fibers firing for us, the big muscles that do a lot of our work? Because what happens is that low intensities, all our aerobic or our or slow twitch fibers are working. So because we're partially restricting blood flow, less oxygen is getting to the muscles. So we're creating a localized hypoxic environment. As a result of this, those slow twitch fibers muscles, they tire out quicker. So what's left is the big fast twitch type two fibers. There's been some really cool studies on increasing type two fiber concentration, uh, well, muscle hy uh, hypertrophy, but also the amount of type two fibers as a result of low intensity training, which has never been heard of before. Yeah, I thought... It was up until the age of 20 or something that you can make, create new muscle fibers. And after that, you don't create them. You just make them larger or smaller. But I don't know, This I heard this so long ago. Is that not true? Or is that now we're just finding out that 
that BFR can can help with that and, and that's pretty much it. I think a lot of it, can, it comes down to the type of stress that you're giving the fiber as a, as opposed to necessarily gets harder as you get older. Then you have type two, there's like a type two A and a type two X and the X is what the athletes love. That's the special fast switch fiber. Um, that's the one I want. So we're able to get that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you need the mix of intensity with normal BFR training. And that's the stuff that's a lot harder to, to get when we get older. So, so that's our five main mechanisms that we, we traditionally talk about with respect to BFR. This is, yeah, no, this is, sounds like a ton of benefits and fantastic for an older adult or someone who doesn't want to lift heavy weights, but wants to not be frail. I mean, we need to, to combat sarcopenia and osteoporosis on top of that as well. And we knew, know that lifting heavy weights or strength training is good for that. So I'm wondering like how much more of an advantage so can you get, so say somebody's not yet, um, and maybe in that, that frail moment, but they want to, they want to lift heavy things, but maybe cannot so heavy. I've been getting a little bit off track. My, my, my brain is wants to go back to as well. The question that I have about strengthening, because when I'm thinking BFR, I'm thinking lifting weights, we having the benefits of lifting something very heavy, but using a light weight right? So that's interesting. And then you mentioned something about doing some more cardio or intensive, and I, I haven't yet fallen across your podcast or videos yet using BFR with some cardio training. Is that, or am I just... You're on the right point here. So you can do, th this is the beautiful thing about it. You don't have to create any special training program with BFR, we don't have to be doing anything different. It's really got to do with the exercises and, and the reps that we're going to do. If we think about once we go, we go back to the concept of stress. If the mechanical stress that we use through load or through intensity doing cardiovascular work is really low, we need lots of metabolic stress. So what happens when we have the cuffs on, whether on the upper body or on the lower body, we want to do lots of repetitions. We want to get the pump, that, that feeling of fullness, um, that feeling of fatigue across the set. So we want lots and lots of metabolic stress created by the BFR cuffs. Now, therefore, when we start thinking about, because, because we want all these different signaling pathways to be activated, where they're irrespective of, of what we're, we're looking at activating. So therefore, you, you know, we could walk with them on, you know, there's been studies at 50 meters per minute. So we think about hundred meters, you got to walk 50 meters per minute, pretty slow. And, and the beautiful thing is, is like a lot of these studies are really short, 10, 15 minute studies, sometimes uh, twice daily. So if you're coming back from an operation, you might want to, let's just say we've had a knee operation and you lose your quad quite quickly. So we want to regain that muscle as quick as we can. So we can actually do twice daily training because it's really low intensity. You can do body, your body weight rehab twice daily, 10 minutes, you're done. And you can actually get really big gains back in that muscle quickly. Then we can get gains at as little as three times a week. So there's really cool studies. And, and in Katsu, most of the work's been done more in that 40s, 50s, 60 and even the older age groups as well. So this is really relevant. The, the katsu world, you know, walking 50 meters per minute, cycling at the equivalent of the equivalent of 40% of your maximal oxygen capacity, which is it's very, very easy. You're basically just turning your legs over at, if you're on a bike, I think it's like the equivalent of around 60 RPM, really nice and slow. And what happens is when you're on it for 15, 20 minutes, just pedaling, you can just feel your quads working where normally you'd be, you, you couldn't feel anything working. So when we start thinking about, well, well, how do we apply this out there in the real world? Well, if you're going for a walk, put them on. You don't have to walk any quicker, you know, if you're riding a bike. or So it sounds like, okay, you can strap these on and do almost anything like you walk or bike or, and you don't have to be necessarily lifting something. So you're saying if, say, you put strap these on, you walk for 30 minutes, uh, how much gains or n not losing are you getting 
with the BFR bands? Like how, what, is it significant? Is it? When you look at academic research, yeah, it is, it is significant. It, it's, you know, walking that improvements in muscle hypertrophy and strength, which, which you think, well, how can you get that by walking when you compare it to if you walked without them on? There's even like, so there's a couple of the really cool things. The other one is pain. It really helps so much for pain in joints and tendons. The other thing that uh, that I try and educate people with BFR is it, the muscles or the areas that we want to train is related to the exercises that we select. So, uh, for example, if you want better gains in your booty, you need to do exercises that activate your glutes. If you want a bigger pecs for the blokes out there, you bench press with it on. It's it's pretty simple. So you think about the movements that you need to do. So it works. So everyone thinks that because all you see out there that gets advertised is people doing bicep curls with them on, but they've actually shown like if you put it and therefore they think it all works down from where the cuff is. However, they've shown like if you put the cuffs here and you're doing bench press, you get increases in pec size uh, and also bench press strength, even to the point where if we move to the lower body and we put them on the thigh still, and we and let's just say you've got anyone's got Achilles tendonitis issues or um, issues with their tendons in their like their, there's a big toe. I've got an athlete who has issues called a flexor helicus longus (FHL). It's his tendon and it hurts when she runs. And all I did was put the cuffs on, and I did called a bent knee calf raise, but essentially I got her to move through the range of movement, which would typically would activate through that tendon or through the joint or through the muscle, but would typically aggravate through that joint. And then within two sets, pain had gone. Oh my goodness. So when you do this, do you, do when you do practice with the bands on, do you, are you supposed to do less weight because you're going to fatigue faster? And the reps are typically higher. That's the advantage of it because most most of this was born out of more of an older population and more in this rehab space where you, you've had an operation, you know, you, you can't put as much stress through that joint because you just had a shoulder reconstruction. So it, but you need lots and lots of repetitions, but you don't, but you do use less weight as a result of it because normally when you first do, you know, let's just say we've had an operation and they just say, you just need to gain movement back into the joint and you're just getting nothing out of it. Whereas you can now go through the range of movement and actually have less of a decrement in muscle loss. If we move one step back from that, we've been talking about all this cool active stuff and we talk about passively. So you think about, so people who are bedridden or people who have had an operation that you, you can't move a limb. So your muscle loss is even greater again through, through just pure huh. inactivity. However, there's lots of research out there showing that by just using it passively by inflating, deflating, that you can decrease the amount of loss in muscle hypertrophy or muscle size and also strength. Yeah. I remember this one study that you shared with that. You probably were many, but that one just blew my mind. I think they had three sets of one with BFR and training, one with you know, doing nothing and one with BFR doing nothing. And yeah, it was an impressive study. I mean, that's why I love you sharing the studies because it is, uh, I mean, in the, as you do, you share so many and, um, and that's super important. There's a question here that Magdalena has. It's uh, interesting to see, see that how, how long until you see some results, if you're not injured, uh, you're just older adult and you want to gain some muscles, but don't want to lift super heavy things normally it would take three to four months sometimes to, to see results. How long would it take for with the BFR bands or how much faster could you get there? That's, that's the million dollar question. It, yeah. It, it's, you know, you could get technical and say, well, it depends on your sets and your reps and, you know, your frequency of training. You, you can, you definitely feel if you have joint pain, the joint pain did goes almost most times within two sets is gone. When do you start see changes in size? That's purely individual, but you definitely do see, like I've had people within a couple of weeks gone, I've definitely noticed a difference in my quad size, or I definitely noticed a difference in my upper body size. And those people are training every day or um, three times a week? No, three or? times a week. You know, yeah. Even, even athletes, for example, they're only in the gym two, three times a week. You know, they're not doing anything. 
silly like you know like what i do i'm i'm addicted to it so i, I play around with high I, I play around with so many concepts like high frequency training like do i do 10 minutes in the morning you know 20 minutes in the afternoon and i can get in and out of sessions really really quickly and, and i can have that feel good hormone release within 10 minutes and I don't have to like, because my background used to be in track and field and, and like, I'm all about lifting big weights, but I can get that same feeling within 10 minutes. Will, wow. will that, you know, you get a quicker change with BFR. I, I think if you, if you've, if you've got a big training history, if you've been training for a long period of time, you're still going to have to push yourself because the body is used to having stress. And so whether it's mechanical stress or metabolic stress, you have to keep increasing the stress on the system. Will it be quicker? Good, good question. I think if you're smart with what you do, you can do what we call finishes at the end of your session. So you might do your normal, normal training, and you could just do really high repetitions and really get that burn. And I definitely do think that you will see a difference. So, so somebody who would normally train for an hour could they squeeze it down into ten or twenty minutes? Oh, definitely. But it depends on your goals. You know, like if you're normally in there, if it's all about feeling good, if you're normally in there for an hour, I'd, I'd probably say you could. Definitely get it down to 30 minutes, even 40 minutes. But it depends what you want to get out of it. You know, like it's if it's all about feeling good and, and feeling strong, you, instead of doing, you know, um, two warm up sets. So if you normally, if you would lift heavy, if you're just about aesthetics, this is fine. If you're about being an, like you, you still want to lift a good load, you still need to lift load. That's so load is still king. But in terms of like, if we still want to look good, normally if we would be, say, Let's just say we're going to do, it doesn't matter what exercise, squats or bench press, you know, we do two or three warm-up sets. Then we do like three or four main sets. You could do your, do a warm-up set and then you could be done in, in two to three sets, you know, and then you're done. Cool. And you could just cut, you, I like you that. could just, but your, your repetition is a lot higher and your rest periods are a lot shorter. Um, so you're not having to do, normally you do high load and you have to give yourself, you know, I, I cut it down to 90 seconds, but you know, they say two minutes and you're just kind of sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for the energy systems just to regenerate. Whereas this here, what you want to do is you want to increase that metabolic stress within the system. You know, you want the, the metabolites, that feeling of fullness. So you just, so in terms of repetitions, you know, if we're, if we're in the gym, this is, this is another really key thing is that everyone talks about this 75 rep protocol. So don't freak out here. Your first set is 30 reps followed by three more sets of 15. And I look at that and I go like, there's no way I'm going to be doing 30 repetitions. I get bored. So um, three sets of 15 have been shown to be just as effective. The key here is your first set. Your first set needs to be nice high repetitions in the gym. So you're pushing out reps and it could be 15 reps. It could be, it could be 10 reps. It could be 20 reps. It could be 25 reps. Your next set, if done correctly, is less. It's around say 15 repetitions. You push out 15 repetitions. You know, you might be you might be addicted to to what you're doing in the gym. You go your third set. Hopefully you decrease it around 10 to 12 because you're really fatiguing out. Fourth set, totally optional. Totally you, you don't have to do your fourth set. Two set, two sets of 20 have been shown to be effective. So there's not one exact protocol that works. The big thing is is lots of stress, lots of high repetition. If we talk cardiovascular work, we just need to be just going for 15 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes, and, and you'll feel a benefit from that. Okay. This is good news. It's what I was hoping to hear. I The question they know I have is, so how does someone get started? Because you got to figure out the pressure and maybe come up with a training program. And I, I, I know if I just take this stuff to my boot camp, like, you know, even my personal trainer who has been helping me with the rehab, he doesn't know anything about it. He's open to learn, but, you know, I'll bring him, but it sounds like there's some training that needs to do to be done here. And how do people get around that? Good question. Typically they ask me lots of questions. So, and that's why I have the podcast is because I'm trying to educate people. I have this segment called your questions answers. So people will shoot me answers the whole time. Um, sometimes I'll do this. I'll zoom people in. Sometimes I'll record it, but not have that. I'll, I'll create a script and then I'll say, I had Zora, uh, I had, sorry, had this, um, this female was really interested in, um, she, she's got a shoulder injury and this is what we would do. So I'd actually help create, give ideas. If you have a really good trainer or you have a program, that you're working with it's 
what you're doing is is that once again we're we're changing how we stress our body so instead of use so we talk the gym is probably the easiest way instead of using higher load we can actually decrease it down and like any good program the first time you go in it so i tend to start the very first time is is i do what we call uh, uh katsu joatsu so it's a it's a katsu or it's a katsu preparation cycle so we need to actually prepare the limb for the upcoming compression so we do a warm-up protocol. So if on the upper body, it comes at 100 mils of mercury, that's our pressure. I'm going to inflate it for 80 mils. So it feels nice. Inflate it for 40 seconds and then deflate it for 20. And then I go 90, then 100. So what I'm doing is I'm just getting the body, it's like a warm-up, isn't it? Just getting it ready. So then you move on to your first exercise. So if you've got no issues and it's Shoulder press. If you stick to a really high repetition protocol, you would just do your first set around. So you'd be able to drop the weight to, you know, 15. I don't know what everyone bench presses out there, but, you know, 20% of what you normally bench, you know, push ups will be now difficult. But you could basically go until you, what, what I call technical failure. So you go until you think, I can't do one more repetition technically well. Because it's all about holding really good technique. And when I can't do one more repetition technically well, I stop. And then you, you, you then log how many reps you've done. And let's just say you've, if you get to 30 repetitions, if you're like me, I get a bit bored. So I'm like, I'm going to stop at 20. So I know next set, I have to bump the weight up a little bit more. So I need that combination of mechanical stress and or load with the BFR stress. I got these bands from my trainer for free she just threw them at me the velcro nothing special put them on I was like I have no idea what I'm doing if I'm doing this right and then I got scared and this is why I found you and now I have the proper bands that that you recommend the sports rehab tourniquet and so I'm really excited to use this and I what I loved was that you sent me a very detailed email with some links and videos on exactly how to get started. And I haven't had the chance yet to go through it all, but this is what I actually even bought um, when I first discovered them as a gift to my trainer, the BFR bands, like, but they were the same kind of stuff that I had. And it's just, I got no feedback or no email, how to use it. It was just literally. And again, I, the poor guy doesn't know what to do with it. So having them, from you, I think this was like a huge advantage. I'm really excited to go through all the, the information you sent me because if you just buy them anywhere, I, I don't think this is where you get the kind of like quote unquote service that, that you've given me. And I, I want to move forward with this. Now, when you, um, this is your product and you've got, you know, how do people, they buy this? Do Do they start working with you as a personal trainer and you do zoom trainings one-on-one -on -one with them, or do you just answer their questions? And how can someone who's totally lost like me get started? Because I still wouldn't want to like, just go on my own and be by myself until you learn, teach me how to do it. <laughs> it varies on, on the person. Some have some really good trainers and understand it, but someone like yourself would be, you know, I've actually done, right. Let's put them on, let's inflate it. And I'm, I'm doing this over zoom and, Right, let's do a few exercises. And I'll say, how does that feel? And, and actually, then I'll probably give you some technical correction, but all going well, your technique's really nice. And then I, I ask a lot of questions, you know, how's that feeling? And I take it a little bit easier because when you, when you do it, there's, there's so much we could cover here. So when you have the pressure and you inflate it, how long do we inflate it for? That's another great question. So in terms, we have this thing called continuous pressure. So we hold it on for the whole time or intermittent pressure. So in between, we deflate the cuffs and then reinflate again. Now, total time, upper body is, there's some real basic rules, like 15 minutes for the upper body in one continuous period of time and 20 minutes on the lower body for just pure safety. But you could decrease it, reinflate it, and then go again. But what I would do is I say, because I want you to come back, Zora, I want you to have a really positive experience. We're going to start at a slightly lower pressure. So we calculated 100 mils. So we're going to start training at 80 mils of mercury because I'm actually think I'm going to still get a really nice benefit unless it's too light. And then we're going to inflate it. You're going to do your first set. And I'm going to say, let's just deflate it. And then I'm just going to be talking to you the whole time, getting all this feedback. And say, right, let's reinflate it again. And then you're going to do your second set. 
my goal would be is just to do two, three sets. And then most of the time by this stage, if it's a positive effect, I've got you hooked. And you get, no, 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 no. I want to keep going with it. However, I keep really, so I use this intermittent protocol. And then like any good training program, we increase it over time. And then we increase the amount of time that your body is exposed to continuous pressure. And then as each week, we add another 10 mils up to the desired pressure because we are assuming that 50 to 80% is your pressure. But what I want to make sure is I want to go a little bit under that and I want to build you up just to make sure that we've got the best thing for you. So that's that individuality. And that just comes down to me is that's how I coach as well, irrespective of whether I'm using BFR or not, that I want to have you, uh, my goal is for you to have a really positive experience. So therefore it's like people will zoom in, people will I'll do a phone call. This is what comes when somebody buys your product, they get you for a sort of training and it just happens. It's only need one training and they kind of get it and they can move on and then just here and there ask you questions or do they need several sessions with you? It just depends. It just depends on, on, on the person. Some people will just continually shoot videos to me. It just depends on the arrangement. Most of the time they get it pretty quick. I guess I'm quite lucky. But that's fantastic. Well, what service? Like this is definitely, um, I know it's, I, I, I'm really, I've never heard of that before. That's fantastic that you, you give so much. Uh, of your time and um, and so that's that's really really unique and um, I'm excited to to learn more about this there's a question here uh, what about people here who have t- uh, too high blood pressure can it be dangerous and people with cardiovascular disease yeah definitely and there's some really great questions and we haven't really touched on the contraindications the, these are contraindications so too high a blood pressure yeah definitely so that would typically you would then need to have a have a doctor that you could be discussing this with that obviously has to understand what BFR is and and not have that negative connotation around it. So that's definitely a contraindication, but definitely not something that we would exclude from training. But normally what I would be doing is, is that, so there's, there's certain factors. So, you know, the first one is just that general lifestyle. And then just from that point there, you know, things like history of deep vein thrombosis, we will exclude straight away different hereditary thrombotic tendencies. So a lot of people with different cardiovascular issues, and there's actually a um, sheet, I actually have some sheets, which I send out. And then you actually go through and there's medical conditions that you actually then you have a total point score. And this is Katsu literature is if it's five points or more. So, you know, different anybody syndromes, pregnant women, we tend to, that scores four points on on the Katsu scale. Pregnant women, we we tend to say during that period of time, no to BFR. Um, Varicose veins, um, although there's been no negative reports with the use of Katsu, we tend to also exclude that as well because we don't want to make that any worse. Heart failure, that scores three points on the Katsu. So you have all these different um, contraindications and there are some some good literature out there in terms of flow charts. So it's definitely anything with anything to do with blood flow issues, deep vein thrombosis, any, any history of heart disease. But if you're working with a really good doctor as well, so that's what I would then do is I then be chatting to the doctor about what we're doing. And as long as they get their head around that we're not totally occluding blood flow, that's probably the key is, is that people hear blood flow restriction, it's not the world's greatest name, is that they go, well, we're restricting blood flow. Well, we're not restricting blood flow. We're, we're partially restricting blood flow and we're creating this, this really great environment within the muscles to create, to potentiate our responses that normally we could never do. So that there are some definitely major concerns around, you know, different cardiovascular systems, you know, strong arrhythmias, uh, acute myocardial infunctions, of course, and stable angina pectoris. They're definitely contraindications that would potentially limit our use to BFR. So it's not just everyone just goes and use it. There's some big concerns around those sort of populations that we really need to be careful of. And it's like any exercise program, especially as we get older, you know, we, we want to be making sure that we've actually got a, a good trainer 
who's also working alongside a good medical team as well to actually say, hey, look, this is what we're looking at doing. What do you think are the pros and the cons to it? And you really go to the way those two are. It's really difficult because if you, you know, as you get older, the, the biggest killers of our, our cardiovascular disease, stroke, diabetes, and and people who are obese or you, ha- you just have weight to lose because you don't want to get into that danger zone. This is the people who actually do need to be hit in the gym. And so for me, it kind of says, well, it's, this is quite a nice option in that sense that you, it's a nice, you can build up muscle and start to see some gains as well, maybe a little quicker with less weight, because it can be intimidating to jump into a class if you have um, these illnesses, or if you're overweight. And, and so it's a pity because you, you kind of have this great tool, but yet you have the the disclaimers and you got to be super careful. And this is exactly the people who need it. But, you know, I think the best thing is to ask your doctor about it and then work with somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, just like, like you. So I, I, it's a pity, you know, cause you do, I can do see this go together. I'd like you to, uh, before we wrap up, um, bef- I would love to know what is the difference between a katsu band and you know, what can you expect? When I went there, it was super expensive and it was like seeing like all these gadgets in the computer and it was overwhelming and say a decent blood flow restriction band, not just something with a Velcro or a rubber band, but more like what you have with um, a pressure, like a, the blood pressure bottle thing. The gauge. Yeah, definitely. Gauge. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> so we look at obviously price. We go from the, the tourniquet strap really cheap through to Katsu or there's these automated systems which are controlled by a computer to to increase the pressure and actually hold the pressure while we're training with katsu it it's actually it's their patented product they have their katsu units although as i said one katsu unit is equivalent to one millimeter of mercury so if you're training at 200 units it's 200 mils and it's just controlled by just different people out there so they they say well you know if you want to use katsu brand because it's backed by these people in this organization this is the way you've got to do it and whereas you know there's some other units called the airbands which put it on it's a little wireless system it's it's really cool actually like you use your phone you dial it in and it in through bluetooth it inflates it and then it holds that pressure and it comes down to you know what you want to do whereas mine for example you know you want something that is going to i guess in my opinion i was looking for my pump you want to have some level of 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 objectivity in my case you want to have something that when you put it on you don't have to use really high pressures so that you know if you use too high pressures it actually hurts when it trains so you you want to be able to put it on and it wants to feel comfortable and one thing that people talk about mine is is that maybe it's just luck i don't know but it just feels comfortable when you put it on. So it wants to feel like anything. It wants to feel right when you're training. And in my opinion is because you can, on these ones here, you know, you can put the valve in, you can take it out. You can actually, you can be less restricted with what you're doing. So you can actually go walking. I had a a gentleman who had two or three shoulder reconstructions and I said, incidental exercise for you is going to be really important because he has pain lifting his shoulder. So I said, you know, I'm not joking here. When you put the washing out, put the cuffs on. So you put, so he actually, he's told me he does that. And so he has pain-free movement whilst putting the washing on. So he's doing lots of incidental exercise. If you decrease the barriers, so it, it's this trade-off of quality, objectivity of, do you know how much pressure you're using? Because, you know, if something goes wrong in my world, if someone gets injured or something bad happens, I want to be able to back it up and say, well, I've calculated the pressure according to limb circumference and blood pressures. Pretty simple to do. All you need is an automated blood pressure cuff and a tape measure. I've done all the hard grunt work for you. You put it into the equation and out it comes. You don't need any batteries. Nothing, you won't have any disconnect between the phone and the units there. So it's a little, yeah, it's a little bit more manual. It's not as sexy but it really works and, and you could be taking that anywhere. And I think that that's really the advantage is that gyms can be intimidating as well. And I think also with, and then on the flip side with COVID, with the whole hygiene factor is, is that like gyms can potentially be big area of concern. So you can, you know, in some populations, it's like, well, you can actually start, ex- you can get pain-free and you start exercising with really good effect 
around the home. You could be, you know, getting some cheap TheraBand from the sporting store, or you could even be, you know, literally using going back to the the can the tin cans of soup or, you know, filling buckets up and you know, getting quite inventive with your own training. Or just going for a walk. You know, I think that's, you know, if you've got in a place where there's great weather, you know, nothing better than getting outside and, and really enjoying just the sun. Or go to the car park while your son is playing soccer or football. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is what you have a great Instagram account giving some really practical tips and showing people, yes, you can use these bands anywhere. Literally while you're waiting for your son, I think it was playing soccer or, or football, I'm not really sure. I mean, football. When I say football, I mean well, soccer. He's, That's he's actually cheerleading. He's forth. cheerleading, so. Oh, oh, it's cheerleading. Yeah. Oh my God, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. So you're in the car park waiting for your son to finish with the class and that's brilliant. And, and, I, and I'm really, you know, I think that it, you show people how to use it. So, but I think the biggest value is that you're here. Like you answer questions, you're answering emails and Zooms. And I think this is super valuable, especially with something like this, because you want to do it right. You don't want to just be like me flipping around the boot camp, going, I have no idea what to do. I feel nothing. So mm-hmm. this is this is wonderful. So if people uh they if they want to get more information about this, they can find you on your your website, Chris Gavilio, C-H-R-I-S-G-A-V-I-G-L-I-O. But you've also got the sportsrehab.com.au website. Is that different? Oh, uh, that just, or is that um, they both go- I do everything myself as, as we discussed. So I, I, I'm pe- putting everything together. I'm doing my own content. I'm doing my website. So sportsrehab.com.au links into Chris Gavilio. So they're all intertwined. And you know, is that the best way to, to find you or what is the best way to find that you? or uh, Instagram or Twitter it, at Chris Gavilio. So I try to keep it pretty simple, Chris Gavilio. And then, you know, you just DM me and then from then we'll just start emailing and if it's a Skype that you want to start. And then, you know, if it's a little bit more, you know, it takes time. So we work out an arrangement, but some people will shoot me a question and, and, and I'll go, did you want to zoom or do you just want the answer? And sometimes I'll actually, We'll just record the answer. And I find just talking because it's hard to to type the answer. So I'll tend to do that. So it just depends on the person. So creating that relationship. And there's some there's some clients out there that want me to program for them. And you know, we we use different programs, but you know, as simple as WhatsApp to be shooting videos backwards and forwards to ensuring that they've got really good technique. And sometimes if I'm having a quiet afternoon, I'll I'll actually video call them while I'm working somewhere and I'll just, right, show me how you're squatting. Show me what you're doing. What are you thinking? What's your cues? Yeah, I, I just, I'm just passionate really? about training people. And, you know, this is just a great tool to, to use uh, out there. Oh my gosh, I love this. So I will have all the notes, the show notes of everything we talked about and how to connect with you because you are on Twitter, Instagram, you've got emails, websites, YouTube videos, and your podcast. Go listen to this guy's BFR radio. It's so easy to remember. Are there any last words you'd like to share uh, about um, BFR and training um, before we let you go? Oh, it's a tough one. There's just, there's just so many great things to discuss around. I, th- I think it's once you understand how to use it, I think it's an aha moment. I truly do. You know, if you have a really positive experience of how to introduce it, and then I think it really demystify once you set the pressures up, understand how to use it. I think it then starts to demystify everything around BFR and I guess what people are really scared about. And that's what I'm here for is to help decrease that, that amount of mystery and that feeling of being scared on using that. And then from that, there people then, then away they go. And I think it's really then limited by what we put on ourselves. So, you know, as I said, you know, find time to exercise. I think this is the bottom line for me is like, we need to find time for ourselves and in, in all we do, whether it's breath work or meditation, mindfulness or exercise is th- this is my tool because we're all time poor, but I want to maximize my training. Like I, I really want to be, so when I train, I want to make sure I get maximum muscle activation. I want to decrease pain because in being pain is not cool. If I can maximize my anabolic hormone response to training, well, it's more bang for my buck. And I think it's my advantage. And, and now at my age, I'm not out there trying to be a sports person. I, I'm trying to just enjoy my life and be able to play with my kids, jump on the trampoline and 
you know, do work around the house. So I can still do that without having to, I guess, kill myself with heavier loads. So rambled on there. There's still a lot there and there's still so much great information out there. I think we just kind of just, we kind of covered in bits and pieces. So, you know, once again, if there are any questions, whether it's yourself will get to me and then um, I'll make sure I cover that because that there is, as I, I do a workshop, which goes for four hours. Like who would have thought I could talk about this for four hours. <laughs> you can make a whole podcast around it. I mean, that blows my mind. <laughs> it's just, you can go that deep with this stuff. And I think you are helping a lot of people, a lot of older adults to injured people, people who've just got out of operations. I mean, this is not just, you know, to build muscle, to look good, which is fantastic. We all want that, but there's so many important reasons why we need to keep our muscle mass and, uh, and our bones strong and everything. And this is such a wonderful option. I really hope that the world sees more and more of this. And this is why I wanted to have you here to explain the science and break down any fears or uh, misunderstandings. So thank you so much for your time. We're going to um, have, you guys, if you want to get these bands, please go to his website, Chris Gaviglio, and with the G-A-V-I-G-L-I-O, you'll find that in the show notes and you can get his, this custom made pretty much. (laughs) So you made, you improved on something that already existed and you've made it even better. So you can get this with a discount. Use Zora, Z-O-R-A as a 15% discount. And because of this pandemic and all the shipping, he's going to upgrade the shipping from Standard to Express. And that's just amazing. I, I love how much you give. You're, you're so generous. You're generous with everything you do in your time. And I'm great, greatly appreciative for this. So thank you so much. Yeah. And, and look, thanks for having me on the podcast and you know, listening to all the great work you put out there. I think you know, kudos back to yourself that... I think it's wonderful that you're able to bring myself, but like just you other other guests to really educate people on all these different aspects of, of how we can biohack our life and, and just just be better people and just enjoy our lives better. So well done to yourself as well, Zora. Oh, thank you so much. I hope to have you back. Thank you everyone who's been here, has been listening from start to end, and we will hopefully have you around again. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Good night. Good morning, wherever you guys are. Look forward to it. (laughs) Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.